And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show. My name is Michael Zimmerman and I am pleased to be joined today by the voice of the Premier League on NBC Sports, Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Michael. Thank you so much. So at, at the time that we're recording, we're a little more than halfway through the Premier League season. And I wanted to start out with how unusual of a season it's been, not only with on the field results, but we've had a month long break because of the World Cup. How have we seen players and teams, and also people in the media affected due to this unprecedented schedule? Well, I think it's the season that's never going to end, number one. I can't believe we're like only just halfway through. Um, From my perspective, purely from broadcasting perspective, I've really enjoyed it because it's just been different. Having that break um, has added a different dynamic to the way that some clubs have dealt with managerial sackings, transfers, um, form has been really interesting. You know, you had the weird situations. Some teams were really good before and then fell away after the World Cup. Other teams like Leicester were really poor at the beginning. Then they found their form and now they're poor again, you know, so except last weekend. Um, So it's kind of almost inexplicable. I don't think anybody, because we haven't got any previous history, Michael, of how this affects teams, it's hard to really predict the rest of the season based on the World Cup. But the weird thing about a World Cup is, my goodness, you forget about it quickly, don't you? I mean, when you're in it, and I was lucky enough to do a podcast during the World Cup, so I absolutely lived every single day of that World Cup. You feel like when you're in it, it's never going to end. And then the World Cup ends and you're like, this is going to be the talk of town forever. And now you're in early February and you're like, Oh, yeah, there was a World Cup, wasn't there? I forgot about that. Because everybody just regrouped so quickly to the Premier League. So I just, I don't know whether it's had as big an effect as I thought it would have on results. I don't, I'm not going into every weekend and coming out of every weekend, Michael, going, oh, yeah, that's the World Cup. I feel like it's kind of, we've absorbed it, really. Maybe come April and May, we might see a few drop-offs from certain players who could be exhausted. But so far... Nothing, really. Okay, well, so we've seen Arsenal's resurgence under Mikel Oteta, Erling Haaland's historic goal scoring. Uh, You know, those have been two of the many storylines from the first half of the season. For you, what has been the standout storyline from the first 18 games or so? I mean, there are, gosh, there are so many, and that's why we love this league, right? Because there are literally storylines every club's but for me if I had to pick one Michael as much as I would love to go for a Brighton or a Fulham or a Brentford I've got to go for Liverpool I mean what has happened to to have such a drop-off and actually this season has felt like and maybe it is the World Cup I don't know but this season has felt like the season of sort of the whole thing turning on its head so you've had Newcastle who've gone from 
okay to, br- to really, really good. Last year, West Ham were really, really good. Now they're struggling against relegation. You've had a number of these clubs who, and it kind of makes a mockery of that situation when we say, oh, it's a project. It's going to take years to their, for them to get where they are. I mean, Arsenal haven't taken years to go from fifth to first. They've gone from fifth to first in a season. Now, Liverpool yeah. have gone from going for a quadruple to right now trying to stay in the top 10. That, for me, is the story of the season because as much as I read, as much as I listen, and as much as I ask about why, no one can really give me an answer as to why this has happened. Ultimately, we're a bunch of human beings. They're a bunch of human beings. And sometimes people are just off their game from top to bottom in the club. It's a weird story, but that, for me, is the biggest story. Well, you mentioned Liverpool sitting mid-table. So are Chelsea. And Brighton, Brentford, and Fulham are all exceeding expectations, sitting in the top eight. I, not not just on Liverpool, but is there a particular reason as to why we're seeing so much parity in the league this year? Uh, no, I don't know. Is the is the, the plain answer is I've no idea. I, I'm so, so surprised at Brentford, Brighton, and Fulham. But there's something in common that those three clubs have, and that is a manager who is on the training ground. We've seen these managers who don't always coach as much as manage. Deserby, Thomas Frank, um, and Marco Silva are the real training ground managers. And they are all getting really excellent results based on excellent coaching. And it's almost things go in and out of fashion in football quite a lot. Um, that has been a reason why they've done so well. But in terms of why, I don't think there's, you know what, the Premier League, my God, it's like a kind of, planet of its own it does it has its own weather systems it has its own ups and downs it's a kind of a weird bubble that within it it's hard to explain why a lot of things happen a lot they're sort of mini perfect storms chelsea is a mini perfect storm of negativity right now liverpool the same and then you look at brentford it's a mini perfect storm of positivity it's almost it's hard to explain without just listing there are so many reasons there isn't one overarching reason um i think you have to look at each club in as an individual to, to realize why they're either doing really well or they're doing really badly. It's just one of those seasons. And I, for one, love it when it's like this because it gives it an injection of freshness. Well, I, I think you know, looking ahead, we've got the, the title race where Arsenal's starting to, to uh, widen the gap a bit. Race for the top four is on. Race for the European spots are on. What are a few storylines looking forward now that you're going to keep an eye on for the remaining uh, season? The number one is Arsenal. That is, as you mentioned there, can they do it? Can they hang on? Can this young team who haven't won a title, I don't think pretty much between them, find the gumption that they need in this final run-in, I guess, of 20-odd games or just under? Um, That's the headline, of course. If they win the league from fifth to first, it's humongous. Um, Whether those three we talked about, Brentford, Brighton, Fulham, can they really get a European place? That's something I'd love to see. Um, so I'll be keeping my eye on that. Keeping my eye on the Chelsea-Liverpool duo of surely they're not going to finish ninth and 10. So that's another thing I'm really interested in. The bottom is interesting because normally by now, I think Southampton are going to be the team to start to get cut adrift. And I think last weekend it just started to happen. But above them, it is so tight all the way up to Palace, um, who feel like they've been 12th since they started the season. They're still 12th, but they are being sucked in if you look at the points um, total. That bottom half is fascinating too. Um, I tell you, everywhere you look, I could give you 
you a storyline. I mean, I've only picked out four, but I could give you another six. I love this division. It's just got everything you could ever want, doesn't it? It's like the, it is the gift that always gives every single week. Oh, it's the entertainment factor. Everybody's going to be glued in. So uh, zooming out a bit, the ever so complex topic of soccer culture in America is brought up seemingly every single week by fans. How would you best describe the soccer culture from your experience here in the United States? Well, I would describe it, Michael, as being totally different to the country I moved to 10 years ago. The Premier League, there is no doubt, has become the leading division in the world of soccer in this country. MLS is growing. It's doing great things. USL below it, grow, I mean, growing at the rate of knots. And I'm just talking men's football for a second, let alone women's, which is also growing. Now we have a USL woman coming in nine, uh, 18 months' time. But... The Premier League, because of the content and the product itself, it's a juggernaut. And that has, and I do think NBC's coverage of it has really helped to bring in a whole new audience. I mean, we just, we're breaking records at the moment for, I think the, the last two weekends have had, have been the two most watched Premier League games in the history of this country. Um, the Arsenal Man United game and then the Tottenham Man City game last weekend. You know, we're pushing 2 million viewers. That was not heard of 10 years ago. So I think I would describe it as growing, 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 being probably the only section of sporting audiences that are growing. I mean, NFL is where NFL is going to be. Yep. The other three, I mean, football's, in my opinion, football's bigger than ice hockey. And I think that you would, you can see that from the stats. And not only average attendances, Major League Soccer is bigger than, actually Major League Soccer's average attendance last year is bigger than Major League Baseball and NBA and NHL, not sure about NBA actually, but definitely NHL and MLB. Um, so in, in terms of attendance at Major League Soccer, it's it needs more credit. And then in terms of viewing figures, bigger than um, NHL for sure. So it's just, you just describe it as a really interesting time because there aren't many things left in America or the world, but certainly left in the United States with this level of growth but with this so much um, expanse and, and space to grow into, you know, this is this is nowhere near where it's going to be in 100 years. I mean, imagine um, so few things these days have space left to grow, especially something as big as football that we, we you know that we see around the world. Everywhere else is saturated with football, not in this country. And that's what's so exciting. And that's what's so attractive to owners and to broadcasters. Well, what are those next steps for the growth? Um in, I, I'll keep it strictly to the Premier League here in the US. What are the next steps uh, of growth that kind of need to be done? May, maybe following the, the the English model, because it's so hard because us fans aren't weren't born and raised in that culture. We're kind of latching on a little later in our lives. So what's that next step of step of growth that's more natural over in the UK than it is here? It's, it, you're right. That's always going to be the problem for uh, a Premier League fan here in the US. Um, I think the Premier League is very focused on the United States. It's very aware of how much untapped possibility, let's put it that way, there is here, how many hundreds of millions who don't yet have a team. And I think you're going to start seeing the clubs come over more. I think you're going to start seeing more preseason friendlies and tournaments in the United States, even more than we've seen in the last 10 years. And I know you get two or three coming over, but I think you're going to get more. I am not going to, um, I know a lot of people will hate this. It's 
especially people in the UK. I don't think we're that far away from there being a Premier League game in America. And here's why. All you need is 14 out of the 20 clubs to agree on something, okay, for something to go through in the Premier League. Well, I don't have the number to hand, but we're not that far away from 14 American owners. There is no way on this earth that 14 American owners, when presented with an idea, why don't we do a Premier League game in America, are going to say no. That's partly why they're doing it. They're trying to spread their brand, grow grow their brand bigger and bigger and bigger. And there is so much, as I go back to it, untapped money and untapped potential in this country. So I don't know when. But at some point, Richard Scudamore, the chief executive of the Premier League back in the day, suggested it and got absolutely pilloried for it. I think we're coming back around to that idea at some stage. It will be deeply unpopular in England, but it will help to grow the game in this country. I mean, other than that, these clubs are just realising the scope and it will just be continuing to be the good broadcasting, good access to allow these fans to feel more connected to their club than ever before. I think they're doing a good job of it right now when we do the fan fests, that really helps to get connected to their, their clubs. It's just time, you know, you can't do it overnight. Small steps get to big, big prizes. Well, speaking of those fan fests and and your NBC broadcast, what's a Premier League morning like in studio for you? Take us behind the scenes into your preparation for a broadcast. Okay, well, preparation, basically I was gonna say, never ends from the previous week. So what day are we on today? Wednesday. So my preparation never ends. So there isn't really a beginning point because as soon as I get home on a Sunday night, I'm already thinking about the next week because you know, Michael, as well as I do, there's a storyline every 10 minutes. So I am constantly listening to podcasts like yourselves and like all all the different sporting uh, football podcasts. I'm listening to talk sport radio all the time. I'm reading, I get clips sent to me every day with all the best articles. I'm reading the Times, the Telegraph newspaper. I'm every day keeping across and absorbing all the storylines. So that happens during the week. We have conference calls Wednesdays, uh, Thursdays and Fridays. And then I, I head for work and I live in California. So I fly to the East Coast on a Friday lunchtime. Um, and I am trying to go to bed as early as possible on a, on a Friday night because the alarm goes off at 3.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And we are I'm in there, hair and makeup at 4.30, and I'm in rehearsing at 6. Now, between 4.30 a.m. and 6, I'm in the makeup room. At some point, two, whoever's on, Robbie, Robbie, Tim, Danny, whoever it is, will come in, get themselves ready, but we'll have a little chat. We'll have a conversation about what we're going to open the show with. So I'll make some suggestions. I'll have had a think, what's the biggest topic this week? What, are, what is our opening chat going to be? We'll have a little chat about it. I rarely tell them what I'm going to actually ask them because it's nice to be fresh, but we kind of get the gist of what their opinions are. And then I'm in the studio at six to rehearse for an hour between six and seven, and then on air at seven, and then off air at three, at which point it's back to the hotel, quick run in the gym, quick bite of something to eat and then I sit and I catch up on any other storylines or any fallout from that day um prep all of Sunday's show all of their stats and how we're going to open the show bed again at about 7 38 because the alarm goes off about four Sunday morning do the whole thing again fly home Sunday night and then it just carries on every week forever <laughs> it feels I mean, like th- those are, those early morning wake-ups in addition to that jet lag must be must well, be tough I'm not sure the body quite knows what's going on because I'm living in California time, flying to New York time, but working on British time. So I think the body's given up on that a long time ago. It just does what I tell it to do. So there actually, is no time. I, no, there, I, live, I live somewhere in the sky on that kind of time because it, 
I don't know. It just, it works. All I can tell you, Michael, is I need my sleep. So I will sleep on the plane on the way to work. I will get my eight hours every night when I'm there and I'll sleep on the plane on the way home. I am just Rip Van Winkle, as we say in English. Um, that's what I, I prioritize my sleep and my job when I leave home. And it's, I kind of compartmentalize between my home life when I'm just a mum Monday to Friday and then my work life where I'm purely the host. And it's kind of nice to separate the two, yeah. Well, because soccer is such still a relatively new sport to most Americans, how do you go about balancing the two audiences of newcomers who are still learning the sport, clubs, English football and culture, and the fans who follow every single weekend? Do you have to kind of have a mix of maybe a little teaching to also respecting you know, the knowledge of, of those current fans who have been around a while? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's something that we addressed from day one, nearly 10 years ago. We said, look, let's let's... There's no way that the fan base in the United States back in 2013 was anything other than really uh, educated, full of knowledge and all in on football. So we knew that. But then we, like you said, knew that we had a whole other audience we had to attract. And actually, whilst that was probably at its height back then, every week we're still getting more fans. I meet fans at FanFest who say, oh, I've only been watching it the last six months, but now I love it. So it reminds me that we are still in that position of, we know there's an educated fan base who don't want to be talked down to, but then I've still got, you know, John and Emma who want to come on board, who just have started watching. How do I balance? And how you balance is, football's a pretty simple game, isn't it, Michael? I mean, let's be honest. You don't have to really, really explain every rule. It's pretty easy to pick up. So when you're broadcasting, I think the best thing to do is the, the things that you need to educate people on who are new to the sport is the history and the rivalries and that kind of who's used to play for this club and that kind of thing and I think you can just drop them in in a natural way often using the phrase as you may know and that way if you say as you may know you're not offending the people who do know but you're educating the people who don't know you know you're sort of striking that balance so that's constantly in my mind you know we don't sit there and say now this is offside because his you know we don't do that but we but we enough for somebody who is new to understand what we're saying it's a it's a hard balance but it's one that NBC take very very seriously from top to bottom um and so far i think it's worked because we are gathering more and more new fans with every passing year have you had americans come to you and ask you for advice of getting into the fandom of the premier league maybe like what clubs to choose maybe how to start following um the league yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, mainly, mainly the question is, who should I support? And so then we have the fun of, OK, let's talk about tell me about your life. You know, do you have any link to England at all? You know, anything at all. We'll just latch on to it like your granny's brother lived in Newcastle once. And right. Newcastle's your team. So we tried. I tried to find a link, even if it's tenuous, to give them a team. Because once they have a team, Michael, you're all in because yeah. it's, it's that kind of feeling of being part of a family. There are people I know who watch just because they love lots of teams or like seven or eight different players on different teams. But on the whole, once you found your team, you do really feel part of it. So I try to encourage somebody to really take a team. Um, and then I just say to them, look, it's not going to be difficult to follow. You're just going to follow them on social media and you're going to, and I'm going to post every week what channel you're on. Are you on NBC, USA Network or Peacock? And we are going to talk about your team every week because we talk about all 20. So it's not going to be hard to follow. Just come with us on our little trip. And then I'll see those people one or two years later and they'll just be 
absolute, you know, mega fans. Um, because it's not difficult to become a mega fan. I mean, we show every game. We give you a ton of coverage. We don't just skip from game to game. We do post-match. We do interviews. You know, we try to give you a rounded view on your team, whichever team it is. So I think living in this country now, if you have yourself a team, it's pretty easy to follow how they get on and, and their ups and downs over the course of the season. Well, I'd, I kind of want to wrap up with with this, and it's 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 a little bit of a fun one. You've done remote broadcasts at so many different locations. What's your favorite ground that you've covered a match for uh, at NBC? Oh, good question. And and, and uh, I'm guessing Crystal Palace is going to be. Well, unfortunately, answer. Michael, I am I am in I am dispute with NBC at the moment because we haven't yet done a game from Crystal Palace. I, of course, have been to Palace many times, and I keep saying to NBC, "I promise you, if we do a remote broadcast from Palace, it won't let you down." Yet to actually get there with NBC, so that's on my list. Even um, with the Ted Lasso connection, there's got to be some. Trust me. I am trying. I am pushing for Crystal Palace on our next England trip. Um, it, a lot of it depends on what, how the fixtures fall. Well, that's what mm-hmm. they tell me. Um, I love always going to Old Trafford. I just think there's something about and Anfield, actually, and St James's Park. Those would be, <laughs> those would be. My, although the Tottenham's new stadium is pretty good too. But those first three that I said when I used to be the sideline reporter for ESPN back in the day uh, before I moved to America. Those were the three places that you walked into St. James's Park, Anfield and Old Trafford. And you were like, oh, oh, this is in the this is like in the fabric of the country. These three stadiums are so ingrained into the cities that are so ingrained in football. You feel it. You can feel the richness of those three stadiums and the atmospheres are all different. Um, but I, lo- I love them all. I absolutely love them all. Tottenham's new stadium is a little bit like, whoa, blow me away. Um, but I would probably, if I was absolutely pushed for one, I'd probably actually have to say Anfield because the atmosphere at Anfield, when they're doing well, um, is second to none. Because of where it is in amongst all the streets and it hasn't moved, and because how close everybody is to the pitch, and it's not a brand new, I like the old stadiums, I think I'd go Anfield, yeah. As a Liverpool supporter, that's kind of what I want to <laughs> Yes. Well, we're all looking forward to seeing how the Premier League season unfolds as we head into the home stretch. And you can watch Rebecca and the rest of the NBC Sports gang on NBC USA Network and Peacock. Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and hope to speak to you again real soon. Thanks, Michael. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 